Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Getting Spooky with Knox. I am your host, Knox, and today we're back with a new true crime episode. So last week, we discussed the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia, and today we are going to be talking about the Zodiac Killer. So a quick note before we begin. This is probably going to be one of my longest episodes yet, so please bear with me. Um, I have six pages of notes to get through, and the Zodiac Killer sent letters and postcards and things like that to the newspapers and police much like jack the ripper did but some of them are very long so i'm not going to include what they say there is um in the beginning one of the victims i did say what the zodiac killer had said in the letter or who they thought was the zodiac killer had said in the letters but that's about the only one because it was short and sweet and to the point but some of these are seven pages long and i just for the sake of time i did not include what was said in the letters i just gave a spark notes version basically i gave you the gist of what was said i also have a guest with me today my mom's cat is in the room with me i've tried recording with her in here before but she has a catnip toy right now and she is blissed out so i think we'll be okay this time um, but yeah, she's in here with me, and uh, just that I won't include what was said in the letters, just give you a gist of what was said. So yeah, I, I think that's all I have to say. I do have a couple notes at the very end um, that do not have to do with the episode, just some general updates. Um, so stick around for that, and let's get into this. So the Zodiac Killer is pretty famous. Many people make memes about Ted Cruz being the Zodiac Killer. There was also a movie with Robert Downey Jr., Jake Gyllenhaal, and Mark Ruffalo. And the killer has been mentioned on shows like Criminal Minds. So he's he's pretty popular amongst the masses. I remember watching an episode of Criminal Minds and them saying that the unsub was... Uh, a copycat of the Zodiac Killer and, and things like that. So I I have vague memories of seeing the Zodiac Killer um, in TV shows like Criminal Minds. I also watched the movie about the Zodiac Killer with Robert Downey Jr. and all of them. And I remember when Ted Cruz was running for president and people making memes that he was the Zodiac Killer. Like no one could get away from um, him being the Zodiac Killer. So yeah, he's never been caught. Uh, this is a famous unsolved case, and I gotta say, I like learning about unsolved cases, but it's also very frustrating for me because it's like a book that doesn't finish well. You know, when you read a book and you're suddenly feeling less than satisfied with the ending or a movie or a TV show or whatever, and you're feeling less than satisfied, that's how I feel about unsolved cases. I just want them to be solved so people can get justice and, you know, all of that. It's just like this un- this feeling inside that just leaves you feeling less than satisfied like you want justice for these people but unfortunately the zodiac killer has never been caught so let's get into the details of the case and i'll tell you a little bit more about um who the zodiac killer is and what he did so it started in the late uh, 1960s. It was July of 1969. There was a letter that was received by a newspaper known as the San Francisco Examiner, and the letter was written in code. This would be the first letter of the notorious Zodiac Killer. And like I said, for the sake of time, I will not be reading the letters like I did for the Jack the Ripper case. There are too many, and some of them are up to seven pages in length. If you wish to read them or see what they looked like, then you can head on over to history.com. They had a whole um, 
just pictures and stuff about the the letters uh this is not sponsored i i was not paid to say this it was just it's where i got some of my information from so i just know that if you want to go check that out you can google it uh history.com they have everything there that you you could need to see the the letters anyways back to the back to the episode Whoever the killer was, because to this day he has never been caught, like I said, was focusing his efforts on the northern part of California. So he was active from the late 60s, like I said, to the early 70s. So how many people did he kill while he was active? Well, there are five confirmed victims, then there are two who managed to survive the attacks, and then there are believed to be 37 other victims, although those have never been confirmed to be actual victims of the Zodiac Killer. So like Jack the Ripper, there are confirmed victims, and then there are speculations on more, but no one is 100% certain whether these victims are the Zodiac Killers or not. In the late 70s, the killer seemed to disappear from the face of the earth, leaving behind a whole slew of people wondering who he could have been and who could have committed such horrendous crimes. The Zodiac Killer has also spawned many copycat killers. One of those people was Herberto Seda, who killed three and wounded five. He said that he admired the Zodiac Killer and took it upon himself to continue the Zodiac Killer's legacy. So like I said, you know, there have been many more. And I think one day I will go into a whole new episode about the Zodiac Killer um, copycats just because... It's weird to think that a killer could spawn it like it's like a fan to the to a killer and that just it bothers me to think that there are people out here who admire the Zodiac killer and want to continue his legacy. It's almost like somebody who looks up to like let's say a rock band like ACDC. They want to continue ACDC's legacy, but it's a more twisted, messed up version. It's not like, "Oh, I'm looking up to my favorite musician and I'm going to continue their work." Um now that they've sort of they're not I don't know if they're really inactive anymore, but ACDC doesn't put out as much music as they once did. So it it's weird to think that they have groupies and fans because you wouldn't think that somebody who committed such horrendous crimes and killed multiple people would have, you know, a cult following. But he does, so yeah. Uh, Let's dive into the victims and the letters now, so give you a little um, detail. I will say, trigger warning, there is mentions of blood. Uh, I believe there was one sexual assault that I mentioned. Don't quote me on that. I can't remember. It's a vague memory. I don't know if I included that one, if it was one of the, the unconfirmed victims or if it was one of the victims. I don't think he ever did sexual assault, though, so I could be wrong. But just, just as a general overview, warning, blood, uh, killings mentioned, uh, possible sexual assault. So just be aware of that if any of this will be triggering to you, then please just be advised, proceed with caution, all of that stuff. So, uh, let's begin. The first victims were located in Santa Barbara. Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards were both seniors at Lompoc High School, and they were also engaged to be married. It was a Tuesday in 1963, and the couple had decided to do a senior ditch day, and it went, and they went to the beach to sunbathe. And if you don't know what a senior ditch day is, I don't know how common this is in the world, but I know here in America, we have things called senior ditch days. So when you're a senior in high school, if there's a day that you just don't want to go to school, you don't have to. Uh, Now, I don't know if this is allowed with some schools because I was homeschooled in high school. I went went to regular school 
up until my ninth grade year. Um, so I technically every day was senior ditch day for me. I was at home in my PJs and what have you. So I don't know, some schools might have allowed like a single day for seniors if they were like, yeah, if you just don't want to come to school, just don't go to school. Uh, But I'm I'm not exactly sure, so don't quote me on that. But yeah, they did a senior ditch day and they decided to go to the beach, which sounds normal. You you live in California. You want to go spend some time in the sun on the beach, hang out with your loved one. It seems pretty normal to me. Uh, But unfortunately, it took a turn for the worse. When they didn't return home, Robert's father decided to go look for them. He was the one that discovered their bodies at an abandoned cabin. They were lying side by side and bound with rope. Robert had been shot 11 times while Linda had only been shot 9 times. Their bodies had been dragged into the cabin and the killer had tried to light them on fire but ultimately failed. It wasn't until 1972 that they were confirmed to be victims of the Zodiac Killer. So like I said earlier, I just realized, like I said earlier, I said he started in the late 60s, but these two were killed in the early 60s. I think that most of the victims happened in the late 60s and early 70s. I think what could have happened with Linda and Robert was that they were test um, victims, because sometimes I know uh, serial killers will have an initial killing before they try to perfect their so-called quote-unquote craft. Um, so yeah, I think that's what Robert and uh, Linda were. They were early killings, and then he really became active in the late 60s and early 70s. So the next killing is not a confirmed victim of the Zodiac Killer, But it happened in Riverside, and I just want to mention it because it happened in the span of time when the Zodiac Killer was was active, and at first they did believe that the victim was a victim of the Zodiac Killer. So, her name was Sherry Josephine Bates, and at the time of her murder, she was only 18, and she lived with her father. It was October 30th of 1966 when she left a note to her dad telling him that she was going to go to the library. The following morning, they found her car and it was abandoned in the library's parking lot. So her body was also found nearby lying between two homes. The cause of death was that she had been stabbed multiple times and then her throat had been slashed. There was also evidence found at the scene, a a man's Timex watch, military boot prints, and some hair that was in dried blood on the victim's hand. So she fought back. She managed to get some of his hair. And um, so, yeah, so she had fought back. A month after Sherry's murder, a letter was received by the local newspaper. The letter in question had been titled Confession, and in it, the supposed killer had this to say, quote, Miss Bates was stupid. She went to the slaughter like a lamb. I am not sick. I am insane. End quote. Then in April of 1967, the newspaper, the police, and Joseph Bates, who was Sherry's father, all received a letter reading, quote, Bates had to die. There will be more. End quote. The words were arranged so that they formed the letter Z. Now, the Police and the California Department of Justice all came to the conclusion that Sherry had been murdered by the Zodiac Killer. A letter was received by the Los Angeles Times, and it reads as follows, quote, I do have to give them credit for stumbling across my Riverside activity, but they are only finding the easy ones. There are a hell of a lot more down there, 
end quote. Though it wasn't until years later that the police began to reject the idea that the Zodiac Killer had been Sherry's murder and was thought to have been a jilted lover, but the DNA samples didn't match and the suspect denied ever having murdered Sherry. So these next victims, um, imagine that you are going on a date, your first date with this person. It's several days before Christmas. You're picturing having a good time. You're excited, nervous, and feeling all sorts of different emotions. Then during your date, you're murdered. That is exactly what happened to two high school students in Benicia. Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday were going out on their first date. The two of them parked the car at Lover's Lane, a spot alongside um, Lake Herman Road where many cars would stop to park. You know, you've heard of Lover's Lane. And another motorist came through and discovered their bodies. Police arrived and discovered that Betty Lou had five gunshot wounds to her back. David was discovered next to his car, which was a Rambler. I'm just, it's important. With a gunshot wound to the head. He was still breathing, but he wouldn't be alive for much longer. There were bullet holes on the roof of the car and on the back window, making the police think that the killer was trying to scare the two teens out of their car. There were bullet casings at the scene of the crime. They believed that the killer used a 22 cal- caliber bullet that could have belonged to a J.C. Higgins model 80 semi-automatic pistol. The police also believed that the two were just random targets and that this wasn't done by someone close to them. The next victim was a woman by the name of Darlene Farron, who was 22 at the time, and she was a mother who, had, who many claimed was a popular waitress at a restaurant in the town of Vallejo. The night was the 4th of July, and she had gone to pick up her friend Michael McGew. She had stopped her car at a parking lot of Blue Rock Springs Park. She and Michael were attacked. Michael was the only survivor. Michael recounted to the police that a car had pulled into the parking lot with him and Darlene around midnight, left, but then returned minutes later. The driver of the car got out, shined a bright light at them, and then fired a 9mm handgun. Michael Michael sustained injuries to his jaw, shoulder, and leg. Darlene had been hit several times and died as soon as she arrived at the hospital, so she had managed to survive the initial attack, but unfortunately upon arrival, she passed away. At around 12.40 p.m., there was a call traced from a gas station payphone. A man had called the Vallejo Police Department and claimed responsibility for killing um, both for killing uh, Darlene and thinking that he had killed Michael at the same time. So he, this person took responsibility. The police dispatcher said that the man had this to say, quote, I want to report a murder. If you will go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, you will find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a 9mm lugger. I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye. End quote. A letter dated July 31st, 1969 was sent to the Vallejo Times Herald claiming responsibility for the two shootings went into detail about the victims, the number of shots fired, and what type of ammunition he used. Another letter dated the same day as the previous one was sent to the San Francisco Chronicle. It was written in code and came with a cipher. The author author of the letter demanded that they post the letter with the ciphers by Friday, August 1st. 
July 31st, 1969, yet another letter sent dated the same day as the previous two. This one had been sent to the San Francisco Examiner. In it, the writer threatened to kill more if the ciphers were not published. In it, the writer also said, quote, I like killing people because it's so much fun, end quote. A three-page letter was received by the San Francisco Examiner on August 4th of 1969. It was in response to the police asking the writer to prove that he was the killer. It is also the first time the nickname Zodiac Killer was used. The next killing took place on a Saturday in late September when Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard, who were college students, were hanging out at a lake at hanging out at Lake Barisa. It's about a 30-minute drive north of Napa. While they were there, a man in a hood appeared with a gun. Reports say that he was wearing a costume with a white crossed circle stitched over his chest. He apparently explained that he had escaped from prison and needed money and a car to make it to Mexico. He bound their wrists with pre-cut plastic clothesline, then without any form of warning stabbed Brian in the back six times. Cecilia was next and she was stabbed ten times. She was fighting for her life. So it seems like he has more pent-up rage toward women because he always seems to go overkill with the women versus the men so it's just that's something that I picked up while I was you know researching this case it seemed like the men did not have it as bad as the women did when it come to how many times they were shot how many times they were stabbed so I think he has some pent-up rage against women versus men I think maybe men just wrong place right time kind of thing um wrong place wrong time um so yeah at 7.40 p.m., a man called Napa Police Department and told them that he wanted to report a double murder. They said that the caller described Brian's car and confessed, saying, quote, I'm the one who did it, end quote. The call was traced to a car wash in Napa. Cecilia succumbed to her wounds two days after the stabbings, but Brian survived. So once again, the man survived the killings, probably because he was not stabbed as many times as Cecilia was but then again Cecilia survived for two days it's it's a shame that she wasn't able to pull through but yeah they were they were stabbed one of them died one of them survived and on the door of Brian's car there was a message written there was a circle with a cross through it the dates 12 20 of 68 and 7 4 69 which coincide with the shootings that i previously mentioned the december shootings of betty lou jensen and david faraday and the july shootings of darlene farron and michael mcgue then the date of the stabbing that had just occurred which was 9 27 of 1969 at 6 30 by knife the next victim was a man named Paul Stein. He was 28 years old, he was a student, a husband, and worked as a cab driver in San Francisco. The night of his murder, he picked up a passenger heading toward upscale Presidio Heights neighborhood. They were at the intersection of Washington and Cherry Streets when the passenger shot Paul in the head and then proceeded to remove a piece of Paul's shirt. The man that shot Paul walked away just moments before police came by. The broadcast through though said that the man that the suspect the man that they suspected was the killer was a black man and officers dismissed the white man that actually fit the description given to them. So the 
the storyline is that they mistakenly heard that it was a black man, but this is the 60s. Um, I'm gonna say bullshit, but, you know, I, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't alive yet, so I can't, you know, but they, the description that was given was a white man, but they heard black. Again, I don't know how, and they could have caught the Zodiac Killer, probably, if this was the actual Zodiac Killer. They probably could have caught him if they had heard the right description, and it makes me so mad that he got away. So, let's continue with the the notes. I'm done with my little rant there. Anyways, uh, let's see. There were fingerprints on the driver's side of the cab that could possibly have belonged to the killer, and a sketch was presented that nearby witnesses had given of what they had seen. So that's why the police arrived and that there was a description. There had been witnesses, because I believe there were um, resident buildings, and they heard the gunshots, peered out the window, saw the man, called the police, gave a description, all that good stuff, and that's why they arrived so quickly. Um, A letter dated October 13th of 1969 arrived at the Chronicle, and in it, the writer mocked the police for not being able to catch him. In it, there was also a piece of shirt that the killer had taken from Paul. An envelope dated November 8th of 1969 arrived at the Chronicle, and in it was another piece of Paul Stein's shirt, a large greeting card, a cipher with 340 symbols, and... Des, July, August, September, October equals seven, which many believe is a confession to even more victims. A seven-page letter dated November 9th, 1969 arrived once again at the Chronicle. In it, the writer claims that police had stopped him but let him go. He also added a recipe for a bomb and a diagram of the explosive. December 20th, 1969 was the date on the letter that arrived this time. The writer said that he feared he would kill again. He asked Melvin Bellini, who was a lawyer at the time, to stop him. The writer ended the letter by saying, quote, Please help me. I cannot remain in control for much longer, end quote. Uh, so I believe that the killer could have possibly had mental issues, maybe. And maybe he didn't want to kill, or maybe this was all an act. So who knows exactly what happened, Um, but I believe maybe he could have had mental issues, um, but we will never know for sure. So I'm going to mention the next two victims, one of whom was not killed but managed to escape, but I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on them because they are possible victims but have not been confirmed to be victims of the Zodiac Killer. The first is Kathleen Johns, who is 22. She and her infant were on their way to visit Kathleen's sick mother. She was also seven months months pregnant at the time. Uh, She was on the highway when another vehicle signaled that she should pull over. She did. Lesson here, folks. If the person is a stranger, do not do this, especially at night when no one is around. You don't know what they want. They could possibly be out to kill you. So just a little word of caution there. If somebody is doing this, do not pull over. Um, if you know the person, I must say you're, you're probably safe. But if you don't know the person and it's the middle of the night and you're on a highway with no one else around, don't do it. 
the other person said that there was something wrong with Kathleen's back wheel. He offered to drive Kathleen to the nearest gas station. She got in the car with him. Uh, again, mistake, but she did. And she managed to survive, so there's that. Uh, but she was wary and said that the man started making threats. She jumped from the car and was picked up by someone else who drove her to the nearest police station. Months after the event, the Zodiac Killer mentioned a rather interesting ride with a woman and her baby in one of his letters. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about the letters that preceded this. A letter dated April 20th, 1970 arrived to the Chronicle and in it was a 13 symbol cipher, a bomb diagram that would be used to kill kids on a school bus. He also denied the responsibility of bombing a police station. So apparently at the time there had been a police station that had been bombed, but he did not take responsibility for it. Again, who knows if that's true or not. I'm going to say it is true that he didn't bomb it just because I feel like the Zodiac Killer is the type that would like to brag about his kills. He wants to take responsibility for things. He has that narcissistic tendency. Um, but again, you, you never know with these things. He, he might have bombed it and he just didn't want to take responsibility for it because who knows. Then on April 28th, 1970, the po was the postmark on a greeting card that was sent to the Chronicle. The writer demanded that they release his threats of the bombs and that people in the San Francisco area wear so-called Zodiac buttons with his symbol on it. Uh, June 26, 1970 is the next postmarked letter to arrive at the Chronicle. In it, the Zodiac Killer included a map of the Bay Area with his symbol marked over Mount Diablo and also included a what and also included was a code to help them locate his bomb. He also said that he had killed yet again. July 24th, 1970 is the next postmark letter to arrive at the Chronicle. He complained about how the people weren't wearing his buttons and also took responsibility for failing to abduct Kathleen Johns, who I mentioned before was the mother, who was also seven, month, seven months pregnant. Um, a letter postmarked July 26, 1970 arrived at the Chronicle. The letter is five pages long. He described how he had tortured his victims, quoted the Gilbert and Sullivan musical known as the Mikado. He also explained his Mount Diablo code had geometric angles called radians in it. Um, then there was a Halloween card sent to the Chronicle reporter Paul Avery hinting at a 14th victim. Um, okay, hold on. I'm going to lock the door that I'm in because... That was... Okay, sorry. I just, I heard something outside and I'm talking about a serial killer and that's just unsettling. I am sorry. Anyways, let's continue. Um, the Los Angeles Times received a letter postmarked March 13th, 1971, saying that the Zodiac Killer was responsible for the murder of Sherry Jo Bates. Um, and then we're getting into uh, the other victim that I mentioned that could be a possible victim. Her name was Donna Lass. Her body was never found. After all of this, leads went cold on whether Zodiac Killer could be. Then a letter arrived at the Albany Times Union newspaper, and in it, this is what it said, quote, You are wrong. I'm not dead or in the hospital. I am alive and well, and I'm going to start killing again. Below is the name and location of my next victim, but you had better hurry because I'm going to kill her August 10th. At 5 p.m. when the shift change, Albany is a nice town, end quote. Below that message were symbols. In an FBI report, the coded message was supposed to have read, quote, redacted, 
Albany Medical Center. This is the only this is only the beginning, end quote. No one was ever sure if this was from the actual Zodiac Killer himself or if it was from a copycat. And there you have it. That's all the information I have on the Zodiac Killer. There are more letters and other victims, all of whom were not confirmed. And the letters may or not have been from the Zodiac Killer, so that is why I did not include them in this podcast. If you wish to see the letters for yourself and what they contained or looked like, you can head on over to History.com, like I said at the beginning, and look at the information that they have there. Again, this is not sponsored. I am not being paid by History.com to tell you this. It's just where I got most of my information from. Um, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions or comments, or if you would like to cr- request a true crime, paranormal event, urban legends, or secret societies episode, you can email me at getspookywithme.com. Yeah, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm all a little freaked out now because I thought I heard something outside my door. Um, anyways, you can email me at getspookywithme at gmail.com. You can contact me through my Twitter at SpookyNox, or you can contact me through my website, which is linked in my Twitter bio. Now, on to the other news that I wanted to share with you all. There are only two more episodes left before season one of Getting Spooky with Knox comes to an end. I'll be going on a bit of a hiatus, no more than two months, uh, as I prepare new episodes for you all. In that time, you can request things... For Um, for me to do so I will keep an eye out on my Twitter um, my email my website for any episodes that you want to hear Um, and you can also keep an eye on my Twitter for updates I will also post a trailer before a week before I come back to let you all know that hey I have new episodes for you and I will be back soon. I am sorry for that little interruption when I was going through the notes that I had and I I just kind of paused Um, The floor outside my door creaked, and I have the door shut, so I can't see out. Um, So I just, I heard a creak, and it freaked me out, because I'm in here talking about a serial serial killer. So I just, I was like, I'm just gonna lock the door for safe measures. So that's all that happened. Um, I just got a little scared there, because you never know. You, You never know. So yeah. Um, but next week I will be returning with an Urban Legends episode and we'll be heading to West Virginia for that episode. I'm really excited to talk about West Virginia because that's actually where my dad is from. Um, so I'm going to be talking to him, see if he can tell me anything. I might include a couple of his stories. So be on the lookout for that episode. I'm really excited about it. Uh, thank you all for listening. I hope that you have a good day and I'll talk to y'all next time. Bye. Hey everyone. Uh, it's Knox post, uh, episode recording Um, i'm not going off a script right now like i normally do but uh, i just wanted to let you all know because i you know i i did pause in the middle of my episode and i locked my door i was back in my mom's bedroom recording because um it's quiet back there um i've mentioned this before it's quiet back there and i can just record without any interruptions or any noise messing up my audio and i heard a creak out in the hall and i was currently not with anybody at my house and it just kind of freaked me out a little bit because you know you never know so I locked the door you probably heard the door lock um and I called my dad once I finished recording the episode I was like hey dad could you just stay on the line while I make sure no one broke into the house and he was like yeah I'll stay on the line with you it's fine and so I went around my house and no one was here 
I'm fine. Um, so no one was in my house. It was just the house probably settling. And plus, I realize now, looking out the window, it's windy, which I didn't know at the time that I started recording. Um, so that was probably another reason why my house made noise. Because it, it's pretty windy. It's not like just a gentle breeze. The The trees are swaying in the wind. Anyways, um, so yeah, he stayed on the line with me. And another thing that freaked me out was I couldn't find my dog. And I was looking and I was like, Dad, I can't find Pixie. Because my, my dog's name is Pixie. And he was like, oh no. But I finally found her. She was on the couch underneath a blanket. I was like, really? And I had been calling her name too. I was like, you couldn't have come out <laughs> for me when I was calling your name. So yeah, but I'm fine. Um, I also wanted to put this in because I completely forgot to mention it at the beginning of the episode. Um, I told you all that I would keep you updated on anything spooky or weird that happened in my home. And a couple nights ago, my dad and I were sitting in the living room. We were watching TV. My mom was back in her room getting ready for bed. One of the cats was with her as well as our dog. And we have another cat, but she was in my mom's office, which is where they they predominantly stay. And all of a sudden, we heard a bottle cap hit the floor in our kitchen. And our kitchen is, like, right next to our living room. So it, it takes, like, four steps, and you're there. And my dad got up, and he went to check to see if it was any of the cats. And no cats were around when he came to just make sure it had been, like, one of our cats he said that one of them was in a bed here in the cat's room. And this cat is chubby. I, I'm, I'm going to say she's chubby. And so she can't move that fast. So he was like, it couldn't have been her because there's no way. Because we have beds in the windows. So they have to jump up to get to the beds. So he was like, there's no way. She could have hopped down off our table because our table is a, a higher table. So he was like, there's no way she could have jumped down off the table after knocking the lid off run from the kitchen into my mom's office, hopped up, because she's also old, too, so that's another thing, so there's no way she could have run into the office, hopped up onto the chair that she needs to hop on to get to the window beds, and my my mom's other cat was back in her her bedroom and had been back there the entire time so we were like okay it was either my grandmother or my cat and we thought we heard a cat jump down off the table and it sounded like my cat flash dance who passed away so i'm pretty sure my cat flash dance was causing mischief for everybody in the house and i thought i heard her go running by so yeah i think it was my cat flash dance and that was just a little thing um, that I wanted to share with you all because I told you I'd keep you updated on my haunted house. And so, yeah. And my mom, she asked me that night or she asked both of us that night because we were supposed to do like a little informal investigation when she went to bed and once the cats had been locked up and everything like that. But my dad fell asleep and I forgot. So we didn't do that. But she, my mom came to me and she asked me, she was like, if we move, do you think Flash Dance will come with us? And I told her, I was like, yeah, I think she will because we have her ashes and she has an emotional attachment to us. So I think she may come with us because my mom was like, I don't want to leave her behind. And I'm like, you're not going to leave her behind. You're you're going to take her with you. It's it's fine. So, yeah, just I thought I'd add that into the episode. And, and also, um, yep, that's it. Thank you for listening to me ramble for five, almost five minutes. Um, I will see you all next week with the West Virginia Urban Legends. I'm so excited to be talking about that. And I hope you all will enjoy it. So I will see you all later. Bye.